Both MLS conferences are jam-packed with playoff battles heading into the last few games of the season. Matt Pence recently spent time with one unheralded side looking to push for one of those spots. He joins the show to tell us all about the Vancouver Whitecaps and pick some games for us to keep an eye on tonight. Also, Rafa Honestein joins the show to get you ready for Bayern Munich vs. Borussia Mönchengladbach in the German Cup. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Wednesday, October 27th. Matt Pence, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, I know you're based in Seattle, but you just got back uh, from some time in Vancouver. You spent some time with the Vancouver Whitecaps, a team that I think is in a really super interesting position as we head towards the MLS playoffs. They're kind of in a in a big bunch of uh, candidates in the West pushing for a position. But they fired their original head coach, Mark DeSantos, at the end of August when the team was still trying to make a push to get into those playoffs places. Have you gotten any sense of why that decision was made? Yeah, I mean, I think up front, I mean, pour one out for poor Mark DeSantos, who, I mean, put a lot of, yeah. a lot of time and work in with this group, and then they finally have taken off right after he kind of left. Um, and I think that he had a really tough job in that, I mean, everyone has dealt with a lot of adversity over the last year and a half, even beyond that. But the white caps between, from the moment he got hired, they kind of dealt with, there were fan protests and controversies within the team. He didn't really have much control over. Then the pandemic happens and they're playing remotely for a year and a half. And so I think he had, he was put in a very difficult position. Um, having said that, I mean, you could also make a case that the, the Whitecaps had invested in their roster really meaningfully for maybe the first time. And he maybe wasn't getting the most out of this group um, at that time. I think that, We've seen since that Ryan Gold, the the Scottish playmaker that they brought in, I mean, he kind of looks like he might have been that missing piece to a certain degree um, that kind of all together. And kind of an irony of all of this is that Ryan gave Mark a lot of props for why he decided to come to Vancouver in the first place. And so I think he started one or two games. I think they won both those games. And then Mark Dos Santos was fired. Um, And so... I think that the timing of it probably comes down to the fact that I, I think that it's probably a little bit of an internal power thing. Um, this is just speculation on my end, to be clear, but it's also based off of having observed how front offices work and, and how these dynamics work. And Axel Schuster came in after Mark Dos Santos um, is the sporting director. And I, I don't think it's any huge like crime or scandal to kind of want to have your own guy in there. I think that a lot of sporting directors, general managers, if they were honest, would say that they, they would prefer to have somebody who they hired who has some kind of built-in loyalty to them. Um, right. And so I think the timing might have just been a little bit convenient for Axel to maybe kind of start to bring in his, his new kind of own guy. And they got this interim coach, um, Vanny, who seems like he's doing really well. And he's also not really that that new guy to a certain extent. So that dynamic still continues to be pretty interesting. And I know that Vanny even talked about how, how he has a lot of, of fond memories of Mark DeSantis, who brought him in. They have a lot of similarities. They seem like they had a really good working relationship. So there are a lot of interesting parts to this story, for sure. Yeah, certainly. And obviously, a big part of that, you mentioned him, is uh, Vanny Sartini. He's the interim uh, head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps, has had a good start to his interim coaching career, I have to say. They've they've won some big games. They won a home game against Sporting KC. 
Uh, they won against Portland recently. Those are two teams that you know are in their conference that are uh, big, big results for the team. But I, you know, I was watching a couple of those games and I see this guy on the sideline. I'm like, who, who is this person? He doesn't. Not that there is like a singular look that a, a soccer coach has to have, but he doesn't look too much like a soccer coach to me. Um, what is he like? What sort of vibe has he brought to the club based on uh, the the time that you spent there? Yeah, I mean, you can see why the players already seem to really like him a lot and why Vancouver fans have really warmed on him quickly. He's this very demonstrative Italian who just like after <laughs> he's hugging all the coaches and he's a very, yeah, he's a really interesting character with a really unique background, especially within MLS. Um, I mean, I'm writing about this and I'll go more in depth in my story, I'm sure, but it's kind of a quick rundown. I mean, he was a semi-pro player um, and he said he had a bunch of odd jobs to kind of make ends meet. He was a marketing rep for a software company for a while. He worked as a courier for a while. Um, He always really liked coaching. And so after his playing career, um, he ended up kind of getting involved with the Italian Federation because... He said he was really the only kind of administrator they had that spoke any English. Um, So he basically got put in charge with the outreach to kind of inbound English and American coaches through that, then got linked up with the U S Federation. He kind of said he wanted to live abroad. He's this very worldly character who speaks like six or seven, seven languages, wanted to try somewhere new. So comes over to the U.S., worked for the U.S. Federation, kind of leading some of their coaching courses for a while, got linked up with Mark DeSantos, who brought him out to Vancouver. Um, And then Vanny joked that he thinks he got the job because he was the only one in the building that day. And they were just (laughs) around because he had been an assistant under Mark DeSantos for two years. And then they put him in charge of the U23s this year. So he hasn't really even actively been part of the staff. Um, but yeah, he's a pretty self-deprecating guy who kind of like plays down a lot of his accomplishments, but he's here for a reason, um, as you can see with their results so far. Yeah. Like I said, they've, they've had some big wins. What is working for this team right now? You mentioned Ryan Gold. He's been a great addition uh, to the, uh, to the team. Uh, he's got a bunch of key goals, a bunch of key assists, uh, since, uh, since he came in, but uh, aside from him, is, is he just sort of like the missing piece that is that it's unlocked a lot of other things or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of the fact that, yeah, I think that they had a lot of really talented but somewhat erratic attacking pieces and a lot of times to make the most out of that talent. If you get that one elite level playmaker who puts those guys in a better chance to succeed and soaks up some of the pressure, it can make a lot of difference. I know. It's kind of an imperfect comparison, and I'm not necessarily going out on a limb to say they're going to make the same type of playoff run. Um, But having covered the 2016 Sounders, who went through a very similarly tumultuous time, they fired their longtime head coach, promoted an assistant, similarly brought in an attacking playmaker, Nicholas Lodero, kind of right while that transition was happening. And you could just see immediately that like his presence made everyone around him better. And I think the Whitecaps have been really similar. And I think that they were already talented, but I think that it kind of brought all of that out. Um, And maybe as importantly, because of everything they've gone through, they're kind of a uniquely resilient group. I mean, if you look at their recent games, they've been playing from behind in a lot of games and finding a way to just kind of rally. I mean, Portland was the best example. 
down two nothing, come all the way back to win three two on the road. Um, and so I think that it's a kind. If you talk to any of their players, they're like, yeah, like I know it's a sports cliche, but whenever you're living in a hotel together for 15 months, I mean, I guess it could also tear a team apart, but it does seem like they're like, yeah, like this is the closest group I've ever been a part of, which makes some sense when you look at everything they've had to deal with together. Yeah, certainly. Well, they have a really, really big game tonight. Uh, Kicks off at 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN plus against Minnesota United, Minnesota United also sort of fighting for their to, to, to hold, to secure a spot in the playoffs. Let's say Vancouver Whitecaps sort of right on the edge of the picture. Another big game uh, tonight, also in the Western conference. I know you wanted to highlight uh, this is on Fox sports one. It's kicks off at eight 30 PM sporting KC versus LA galaxy. Uh, Matt sporting KC has been sort of nipping at the heels of the Seattle Sounders for what feels like the entire season, even though I know they were on top of the West uh, at various points. Um, do you think that they'll find a way to to catch the Sounders? Uh, or is, the, is, is that just like not going to happen? <laughs> I mean, they certainly went a long way towards doing that last weekend. Uh, I mean, came into Seattle, really, really good game, um, found a way to kind of edge out a 2-1 result that all of a sudden – now gets them within three points with the game in hand. I mean, they don't necessarily ultimately control their destiny, but they're right there. And I think tonight's game will go a long way toward, I mean, it, that's very easy to say with what four games left on the schedule. Uh, yeah. But I do think against the galaxy, another very strong, like looks like a legitimate Western conference contender. If they can get that, keep the pressure on, it does seem like the Sounders are faltering just even a little. They haven't looked quite as sharp lately. Um, I think Sporting's been really good. Um, so I do think based off of form, I-, I think they have a really good chance to catch them at the wire, which in this playoff format where, where the top seed gets a bye all the way into the conference semis, it's a big deal. Um, and especially if, if you're as high on the white caps as I all of a sudden am after <laughs> going up there and fe- feeling those vibes for an afternoon, um, you avoid one of those hot lower seeds, which in a one game playoff, you, you can't really can't really beat that. Yeah. And one of those lower seeds could end up being the galaxy or not. They could end up hosting a playoff game uh, the way it's going right now. As we speak, uh, they are tied on points at 46 with Portland uh, in fourth and fifth. Uh, respectively. Uh, what are you seeing out of, the, out of the Galaxy this year? What do you think they need to show in the last games of the season to show that they might be a threat for MLS Cup? Yeah, I mean, they're a team where I feel like the the Whitecast is like a very obvious narrative. I think even like the Sounders trying to like maintain their whatever. The Galaxy just seem to, they have a lot of talent and they brought in a very good coach. And I think that if you combine that, like I, I don't think that they have totally figured it out yet. I mean, I think that Greg Vanny is still kind of in the process of turning them into a legitimate contender as he did in Toronto and the galaxy certain certainly have the resources to, but it does still feel to me like he's kind of making the most out of a team that doesn't totally fit together. Um, But I mean, they are where they are for a reason. They have the talent on paper that matches up with a lot of these other contenders. So I think that, they just kind of have to prove that, that they can be difficult to beat. I think, um, I think that if they kind of put themselves in a good enough position to host a playoff game and a lot of the teams around them are pretty unpredictable. If you look at Portland um, and all the other teams below, 
Um, I, I think they match up favorably with a lot of teams, especially maybe in that first round matchup. So if they can get a home game against a team that they maybe match up with well, I mean, you, you could find yourself in the conference semis and finals fairly easily. And from there, who knows? It'll be interesting to see for sure. Matt, thank you so much for uh, for joining the show. Yeah, making my debut. Thank you for having me. Okay, Rafa, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been another very Bayern Munich-like season so far. They're top of the Bundesliga. They have a plus 25 goal difference. They're top of their Champions League group They where they haven't been scored against so far. Uh, what is working for Bayern at the moment? Why have they been able to be so good so early? Well, what isn't working for Bayern at the moment? I think, first of all, they... <laughs> They have the best team out. I think that's absolute key. You know, when they struggled last season, they had a few injuries in positions that it couldn't really uh, re- replace so well. When Lewandowski was out for a bit, when Davis was out for a bit, now they managed to keep the starting eleven on the pitch almost every single game. And if they don't have one or two players, then at least they had the backup ready, which wasn't a situation necessarily last year where they also felt everyone felt very tired in that COVID season or the continuation of the COVID season. So buying a fresher, um, they have their best squad out. They're being managed really well, I think, as far as their physical exertions are concerned. And of course, they have a new coach who has some very good, very specific ideas, really helps them with the game plan. And they score so many goals that halfway through the game, they can ease off, which then helps them conserve energy for, for the next one. So right now, uh, very difficult to see them to see them drop any points. They they lost against Frankfurt, but even that game was a bit of a freak result down to the keeper Kevin Trapp playing his best game ever, perhaps. Um, I don't think we'll see Bayern having too many problems this season. Um, you mentioned the new coach and sort of new ideas. Can you tell us a little bit more about the coach and those ideas? Well, Julian Nagelsmann has been the hot next big thing in Germany for a number of years now. Um, even before he uh, took over Hoffenheim at the age of 28 and saved them from relegation and the next season got them into the Champions League places, which was a remarkable achievement, then repeated it in the season following. Uh, even before that, as a youth coach, he had uh, had a reputation that a lot of clubs were looking at him and Bayern actually tried to sign him even as a youth coach um, a few years ago. So I think he's a, um outstanding talent. He has the ability to connect with people who are or players who are not uh, much uh, older than him or or even younger in some cases. Younger, um, yeah. And they, um, I think they respond to him because he, he comes with very innovative ideas. So the training uh, always changes. There's always different emphasis on, on little things that are all geared towards making Bayern more versatile, more... Um, responsive to situations on the pitch. He has a very, I think, strong ability to to read a game, to understand what, where spaces are, what I need to do. And players really appreciate the fact that somebody comes there almost sort of with a, with a manual how to score goals. And of course, a lot of it is down right. to their own quality and to their uh, intuition. But if you have a game plan, if you have very specific uh processes and moves that you can implement and you know that they will be successful then that's an amazing thing and he's you look at the team and 
some players who were really underperforming last season or weren't performing to their potential have gone to a new level. I'm thinking of uh, Leroy Sané, first of all, because uh, he's made such a difference in a, in a slightly different position, uh, playing inside left rather than right. Uh, it feels rather subtle and you think a professional footballer shouldn't really be that affected by 20 metres either side of the pitch. But it's really opened up his game and he's become become absolutely amazing. And uh, that's uh, a lot of it that is down to, to Nagelsmann and his coaching. Well, very cool. Uh, so for Borussia Mönchengladbach, their opponent in this game, uh, let's just say not as good of a season so far, but they still have some good players. How have they been going this season so far? Yeah, it's been, it's been inconsistent. I think Adi Hütter has come in and his ideas are slightly different to Marco Rosa's. Uh, the basic game plan is, is pretty similar, but when it comes to details and the tweaking, there's a lot of stuff that uh, isn't quite working out so well. Um, I think also Glapa haven't been able to strengthen because they missed out on Europe, so perhaps not the same kind of um, reinforcements that, uh, that might have really helped them to, to continue um, being a real force in the top, top half of the Bundesliga, so they're a little bit behind their own expectations. Um, but they're still a very decent side with, with great players, as you said. And it, as we say in Germany, in the cup game, everything's possible. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule them out completely. But of course, Bayern are huge favourites to go through. What is Borussia Mönchengladbach going to have to do in this game if they're going to pull off what would be a pretty big upset? First of all, I think they have to get lucky. Because luck, luck <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Luck is going to be your, I think, your most important uh, factor here. Because Bayern will create more chances than you, and they will concede fewer. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will score goals, but the probability is really, really high. Uh, when you see the amount of chances that this team creates, um, they're aver- averaging an xG of over three at the moment, which is really incredible. So the goals are practically huge, yeah. guaranteed, and they don't concede that many chances. So you can. If you're Frankfurt, you can get lucky and and uh, and play on the one day that Bayern don't take the chances, and you take your one or two chances that come that that present themselves. It's a possibility, but it's it's extremely unlikely uh, statistically. So I don't think there's a lot they can do. Of course, the usual, you know, try to be compact, try to um, uh, not to allow Bayern spaces between the lines. They've been really really strong in in picking up uh, positions there that are very threatening when. And there's too much of a gap between the back four and the midfield. So they have to be really, really compact there. And then play on the break. The problem is that Bayern with Upamecano at the back have now so much pace that it's become even harder to right. play on the break, especially when Davis is around as well, because he's sort of a a one-man cheat code for um, for defending counterattacks. It's just so quick. So it's, it's very, very difficult um, for Gladbach. Very difficult. Yeah. Um, well, as a American, of course, I have to ask about Mönchengladbach's Joe Scally. He's an 18-year-old. He's become something of a regular with the team this this season so far. Um, what has led to that breakthrough, and should we expect him to play some sort of role versus Bayern? Well, I think it's a combination of things, as it always is for these young kids, between opportunity and then uh, and ability. The opportunity arose because. Um, Ben Zibaini, the left back, got injured and he's been out for quite a while and uh, they needed somebody to play there. It's not his position, but he did well enough to, to stay in the team then in his, in his better position, the right back position. 
And the right back position has been um, a bit of a weakness for this Gladbach team. They were crying out for somebody to to really make it his own. Sometimes they had uh, Oscar Wendt there, the veteran who's no longer there. Sometimes Matthias Ginter played there, but somebody who can really play um, fullback in a in a very attacking guise, I think was was missing. And he seems to have uh, really thrived. Makes very few mistakes, brings a lot of energy, and uh, but also maturity. And now we're at the point where Max Eber, the sport director, even has even called him the best player of the season so far. So really highly rated. Um, he will have to be really really strong because Bayern's left hand side is is their better side when they attack with Davis um, if he's fit and uh, and Leroy Sané as well. So it's not going to be easy for him. But uh, maybe he can be, um, well, helpful in a, in a way that uh, <laughs> the, the pace necessary to defend the spine team. I think he brings that. And maybe he can uh, venture forward once or twice and, and be involved in a counter-attack. So I expect him to have a tough game, but that's not a reflection on him, more so on the opposition. I think, I think everybody in the lineup for Munchen Gladbach will have a tough game ahead of them today. Rafa Honigstein, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. All of those MLS games we just talked about and a few more are on ESPN Plus, with the exception of Sporting KC vs. LA Galaxy. That kicks off at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Elsewhere in soccer today, the remainder of those DFB Pokal games are the first to get started, with the earliest ones kicking off at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, many of them on ESPN+. In Spain, Barcelona kicks off a La Liga game against Rayo Vallecano at 1 p.m. Real Madrid takes on Osasuna at 3.30. All those are also on ESPN+. The English League Cup continues as well. The English League Cup continues as well. All the games kick off at 2.45 p.m., including Burnley vs. Tottenham, Liverpool vs. Preston North End, West Ham vs. Man City, and Leicester City vs. Brighton. All of those are on ESPN+. There's a bunch of Serie A action as well on Paramount+, including Juventus and Inter Milan both playing games. In France, there's a resumption of a game that was abandoned due to a fan riot. Nice vs. Marseille is at 3 p.m. on BN Sports. Hopefully there's no riots this time for that. Last but certainly not least, Mexico takes on Ecuador in an interestingly timed men's international friendly. Both teams will have mostly domestic rosters, but it'll be an interesting preview of El Tri before USA-Mexico. That friendly is at 9pm tonight on Tudene and Unimas. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year's subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thanks for listening, and happy soccer to you all.